0: Greetings, outcasts, free thinkers, narrative questioners, dot connectors, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever realm we exist in at the moment. You are about to embark on another free first-hour episode of The Melt. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For as little as three lousy Babylon Hokey Pokey tokens per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast or click the link in the episode notes to set the process in motion. It's simple, painless, and very well might make you feel tingly inside. So without further ado, please enjoy the show! <laughs> Hello, my name is Chris Snipes and you are listening to The Melt. Unfortunately, it is seldom that subjects like cryptids and UFOs get much beyond a subjective first-hand experiential narrative treatment. And it's not at all because we do not consider first-hand experience unreliable or too subjective for serious consideration, but because these factors often exclude these phenomena from any widespread examination or consideration. Although, at this point, the way that the current reality appears to be bifurcated already due to subject matter that has been all-pervasive over the past three years, I don't find myself all that concerned in any pressing sense with what is or isn't deemed acceptable by the mainstream. Still, it is refreshing to take in information that is attempting to examine these things, not to necessarily prove or disprove them, but examine them in a light that takes into account these innumerable experiences that people have been having for the last several hundred years as fact and from there seeks to explain the brass tacks about how these phenomena might manifest and take the form that they do. One such articulate presenter of such information is today's guest Simeon Hine. He is the director of the Mount Baldy Institute which teaches resonant viewing, he studies crop circles, and he is an avid acoustic guitarist, as you will hear at the end of this episode. I start off the conversation by asking Simeon what brought him to the subject matter contained in his latest book, *Dark Matter Monsters*, cryptid, ball lightning, and the science of secret life forms.
1: Yes, the book—it's a year old at this point.
0: Yahoo! Oh, I love it. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Chris. Uh, this book was published June twenty eighth and July twenty seventh for the soft cover, August for the hardcover. Fantastic! Thanks for mentioning it. I'm yeah. very uh, happy with that project. How did I get involved with all this?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I uh, there's a number of ways to look at that. Uh, I had a UFO sighting with my mom in the Everglades at the age of 11 or 12. And it it was big and bright. And it definitely even to a very young mind, I could see this thing did not belong here. It did not have the vibe of anything terrestrial. And I I knew nothing about UFOs. It was just right over us. I thought it was the moon. I Uh, kept saying to my mom, look at the moon, look at the green moon. And the moon was on the horizon. She said, why do you get, let me look kid, you know? And then we both had binoculars. I got her attention and we looked at it and she goes, Sim, it's a UFO. <laughs> and we're both. And it went from totally stationary to moving. I mean, if you had thought it was just an odd cloud, it just picked up speed all uh, of a sudden and moved into a cloud. Crazy, And, uh, and there was structure in the binoculars. You could see things that looked like structure, uh, but the object was amorphous. Like, what does your mind do with that?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, was it when you first saw it? Was it stationary?
1: Yeah. Okay. It was stationary enough to convince you it was the moon. But it made you feel like you were being observed. And my mom always said, they zapped you. And that's why you got interested in all of these. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I can Maybe that's the short answer. And that's what she says to this day. They zapped you. And because it did feel strange. And then we went to the ranger talk in the Everglades, and the ranger, my mom, she, what did people see today? And my mom says, we saw a UFO. And the ranger said, oh, okay. Anybody else? And like, she did not <laughs> want to go there. you know and uh like a typical government employee like just okay next topic it was a weather balloon you know Uh and then there was a blackout and the people we sat next to on the benches that they have at those amphitheaters and national yeah they had seen it too so here were more witnesses a blackout and a ranger that was just like i'm not talking about it don't bother (laughs) me let's go to the next person
0: interesting
1: my mom even went up to her after the talk and, and said, no, but we really did And And said, that's interesting. Maybe it was Venus. You know, it, this is 72, 73. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after Project Blue Book allegedly closes down. So the, the government was still in this mode of, you know, it's a weather balloon. It's Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, it's misidentifications of a planet or something. Uh-huh. So that might have been my first experience, but I'll tell you how I got into it more recently. I did not pursue these topics very much. I had a kind of ordinary education. I mean, I finished high school, went to college, went to grad school, eventually ended up getting a Ph.D. at WSU in Pullman, Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not far from where I am at the moment. And uh, uh, I studied. I taught statistics. But they even hired me back as an assistant professor to teach statistics. Statistics, Chris, <laughs> is very linear. Yes, it's very normalized. It's designed to take a complex world and make it simple for your brain. Of course. Yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of questions nowadays about statistics, about the motivations of the people that invented it. Exactly, Fisher and Pierce. 100. Even in Science Magazine, where it, is statistics inherently racist? because mm-hmm. you have this idea of what's normal and do people fit into that normal and who's normal? Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a white male. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know how to put it. it. It's us. We're, we're the normal and everything else is like we fit to our current. And, and, and I can see why people are there. There have been steps to remove Fisher and Pierce's names from monuments and buildings mm-hmm. where that can, cons- because it's an attempt to normalize reality and, and, yes. At the University of Arizona, I was told to throw out outliers in your data set that don't fit the regression line.
0: Interesting. That's that's a that's a giveaway right there. So yeah. they skew skew the statistics. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. Create bias yes. based on your preconceptions. And I'm sure the people that taught me this didn't think they were doing that. Mm-hmm. They were thinking, how do I get something that's going to publish easily and make yeah. me look good in front exactly. of my colleagues? Yes. You want things to fit to a line, you know, independent and dependent variables. We want a nice linear relationship. You know, you take X vitamin and you'll get Y result. Yes. You take this pharmaceutical. And that's how our modern minds work. Mm-hmm. We like linear, ordinary stuff. Until I came across fractal geometry and chaos theory. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. That'll that'll take you in a different direction.
1: Fract, this is the book. This is the book. I just happened to have it on the desk because it's so fun to reread the text that blew your mind, you know, with all these strange space filling objects (laughs) that are what what are (laughs) fractals objects between dimensions. They don't completely fill space like an ordinary object. They're more and more detail the smaller Uh you go and they never completely fill the space. Yes, there's always more edge and more detail. And It opened me up to the idea that maybe science was like seriously mistaken about how it was looking at reality. This is before remote viewing and any serious study of UFOs, any of the topics I study now, Mm -hmm. it came from science. And isn't that a success story for science is something showed me that the way I was taught to do things, there could be something seriously wrong with it because none of my five uh, graduate committee members, five guys, in the social department wanted anything to do with fractals or chaos theory. I'm sure, yeah. I had to go to entomology to find a guy named Alan Berryman, a British guy that was into this, and he had written papers on chaos theory. For people listening, that's a small change can have a big effect, mm-hmm. butterfly effect. Yes. A butterfly flapping its wings over the Amazon could change the weather in Germany.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this guy, Berryman, and he's, I'm told he's passed on now, he spent a lot of time with me, and he didn't have to. He was in studying insect population dynamics, and he said, "No, no, you're right. It's 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 much more complex than a linear relationship because it's boom bust cycles and a little change." So I was able to find some allies there at WSU. Cool. Yeah, and I got ended up getting my PhD in in fractal geometry. Oh wow! Topics. I mean, not a sociologist doesn't get a degree in math, but I had studied the math, and I had had. Headed down and the the equations to show Uh that things aren't really lines. They could pretend to be lines, but that's your mind imposing a Western mechanistic view on reality. Mm -hmm. So that's where it starts for me, Chris, before I hear about remote viewing in Boulder in 1996 on my community radio station, Courtney Brown, who had started something called the Farsight Institute. And he was teaching classes and he had taken, it, he told us, and it was new back in de- programs declassified in 95, a government psychic spying program called remote viewing run out of the Defense Intelligence Agency with help of the Central Intelligence Agency. Yes. Employing a special access program at Stanford Research Institute, as it was called back then, in Palo Alto. And there had had psychics that they were using to spy on the Soviet Union. And the Soviets had, we learned later, had five, at least five KGB departments with their own remote viewing programs. Their best physicists were involved in this. When I heard about this, part of my mind that had been looking at fractals said there must be things that we weren't told about in school that are true. And maybe remote viewing is one of those things. So I should investigate it and And that's why I went and took the classes because I was convinced that there must be more to reality than science really understood. And maybe this was one of those phenomena that would, it it didn't hurt that Courtney also studied chaos theory. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. So we're having, we're having, we're having Courtney on in a couple of weeks, actually. Funny I should mention his name. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to interrupt.
1: No, no, I I don't want to just... Just keep talking. Maybe oh, I'm, that's why people I, are here. <laughs> well, I can go on for this forever because it just gets more interesting. Because you go take remote viewing, and who shows up in these classes? Courtney hired me back to be a teacher there, be partly because I had a PhD, and it gives a respect to you know your institute to have academics there, and and I, I wasn't bad at remote viewing; I could do it and get results sometimes like anybody can, and I could explain it. Well, who shows up at these classes? eventually people who had worked with the government and nasa Uh Mm -hmm. who told us the government's hiding a really big secret and these were not lightweights it was an astronaut who had worked in the shuttle program a so-called civilian astronaut because they actually you know they they like trained 200 people for four slots just for standbys And, and this is one of those guys that's trained goes through the whole thing but never actually goes on to the missions but he said he had seen the evidence there was a guy there that Uh, John from LA who had worked for NASA transcribing the 16 millimeter film from the cameras they used uh, on the Apollo missions Uh and probably before Gemini and the other missions up to, he was an expert in video and he had created a machine that would, back then it was probably high tech, you put the 16 millimeter film in and it transfers to video.
0: Oh, cool. Nice.
1: Yes. And he said, wouldn't believe what's on the moon i've seen the original video that they haven't shown to everyone else and there's structures there i mean he had no doubt that there were structures he's 100 percent. he said i could you could see him on this video he said if you had a telescope you could probably see him with the naked eye too if you knew where to point
0: origins of the structure did he conjecture that or
1: yeah He was convinced that there had been an extraterrestrial civilization there and a war. He said some of these buildings looked like they'd been bombed out, broken glass, stuff like that. Interesting. And we've heard about this from other people uh, more recently, including uh, Ken. I forgot that guy It was another civilian astronaut. Ken, uh, he wrote this book about. Getting the whole set of NASA fo- photos and looking through them and seeing all these structures and things. What was he called? Ken something? My Moon. I'll, I'll remember it because he he was a very interesting guy. I later saw at conferences. Mm-hmm. And then you had all these witnesses in Steve Greer's Disclosure Project. Yes. Um, who who was that fellow from Vermont? Uh, He uh, unfortunately, he was killed in a bicycling accident. It did did seem just to be a real accident. Uh, uh, He he was the one who said that he was in a facility, an NRO facility once. And uh, and a guy said, hey, do you want we've discovered structures on the moon? You want to see? And he and this before someone else came in, he was like looking at these. And this is like, I mean, I guess we can say there was a time you could not say these letters NRO. you can say them now. Uh, they advertise on LinkedIn.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. For God's sakes.
1: Yeah. You'll see their, uh, we can say their name now. I think there was a time where it was like illegal to mention, but, but anyway, this was, what was his, it'll come back to me. Uh, it's in the disclosure project. It's on YouTube. And he said, no, they saw that he was looking this guy said, no, we've seen these structures there. And he looked, well, this is exactly what Ken Johnson said in when he saw them, he, he, uh, he saw stuff that he, he went in once, just what, what Donna O'Hare had said another Stephen Greer's witnesses, that there were teams called professional strippers. And they strip out anything from NASA photos that they feel could confuse the public,
0: confuse the public, not educate the public, but confuse us.
1: Fuse like an extra dot here or there or a structure or a craft that shouldn't be in your moon photo
0: interesting and
1: ken stumbled upon these people just as donna o'hare did and uh um the the witness i'm thinking about the guy who retired to vermont who was in that facility where that guy says we've discovered structures on the moon also was told that they have uh, groups that airbrush these things out before they're shown to the book. Yeah. Well, this is what John had told us from L.A. back at Farsight. So it kind of it really convinced me that, that, that this was a much deeper topic. Oh, while we're on this subject of yeah. NASA, uh-huh. I ran into a fellow that had worked at NASA as an astrobiologist, Dr. Richard Hoover, and I wrote about him in uh, Black Swan Ghosts. He's I have a chapter on it. Cool. Him because I spent days with him at the uh, Open Minds UFO Congress, International UFO Congress outside of Scottsdale, Arizona, before they moved to Phoenix. He he told me the most incredible stories of suppression of UFO information that he personally knew about. It got him to quit. Can you imagine someone with 200 peer reviewed papers and 30 patents in extremophile life he had gone to antarctica and all these places where you have life forms that have adapted to very extreme conditions and he said you would find them in meteorites too once you open them up and he was told by his bosses at nasa we, we don't want you talking about this at conferences because it could confuse the public
0: what do you think that that decodes to what do you, what do you think to confuse the public means
1: he Richard told me because he asked them what What does that mean? Uh-huh. And they said it's a directive from the White House. And Richard he was incredulous. He said, well, "What What directive? He goes, they don't want this coming out now. It could It could incite religious fundamental
0: religious groups. Strange.
1: Yeah, that there's a timeline, uh-huh. and he was told you're going faster than the timeline for uh-huh. disclosure. Gotcha. And this is uh, hey, oh, no look. We've got a creature here. No noses in the.
2: <laughs> I
0: just want to pitch in.
1: Yeah, they cannot stand that one. <laughs> Only a year old. They to. uh, Richard told me that he quit over this. Can you imagine someone of his caliber quitting? He yeah. was the top astrobiologist on the one of the top. And he had other colleagues, and they all thought that there was uh, fossilized life forms found in carbonaceous meteorites. But NASA told them point blank, we don't want you going to conferences talking about this. If you go, don't mention this. And he said, no one tells me. Ouch. Someone's biting me. Sorry. I'm getting bitten. (laughs) No biting, Mr. Goldman Bear. No. Sorry.
0: That's okay.
1: Uh, We're on TV. We have to behave.
0: Stop. <laughs> Unless you've got something <laughs> to add to the story, there, Dougie.
1: Do. So- <laughs> okay, that's this is it. Built up all from remote viewing. This I'm just I'll stop right there, and you can ask more. You go to something just like remote viewing. It turned out to be real. You know, my first book, uh, "Opening Minds," was about discovering resonance, remote viewing, crop circles, things like. Remote viewing really worked, and it worked more than I would have thought as a statistician. I will tell you, as someone that taught statistics, you would expect yourself, if you were just guessing randomly, to, uh, I'm getting attacked here by a red <laughs> dog, and this is not a joke. Can... <laughs> here, here, let me tell you something about these dogs. When they sense that you're not responding completely because they know you're being watched, yes. they it encourages oh, them yeah. to to lunge. Exactly. Like, why aren't you responding? Come on. We're <laughs> going to play. And you got it. And I'm trying to say, dude, we're on TV. <laughs> okay. Stop it. Out. We're going to. Out. Uh, these things were real. And it just, it, it cascades. You, you, can kind of, you realize you haven't been told the whole truth about reality. There's just more and there's science behind it. And then you heard about these things that we're hearing about now from Congress. Special access programs. Black budget programs, as was the RV program. The people in the RV program, the military guys, for the most part, uh, most mostly guys, um, said they didn't tell their wives what they were doing when they would go up to visit Ingo Swan in Manhattan once or twice a month for training. They couldn't tell them. It was so these black budget programs lead to things being compartmentalized. And so what you end up with is people who want to tell someone their story but they can't for fear of federal prosecution because they signed these NDAs, non-disclosure agreement. So this is this all comes out of remote viewing. Just the program, it's, the whole thing is so fascinating. Even if it wasn't connected to other topics, it's amazing that we all have this ability to perceive information without using physical senses, something that many people in the program have talked about ingo swan and others it's it's built into us it's another set of senses that we weren't told about but it cascades into other paranormal type topics and you meet increasingly credible people you start going to conferences anyway i'm giving you a very long-winded answer oh that's that's, it It just perfect you begin to encounter very credible people like we're hearing congress's Getting testimony from these people right now, uh, UFO witnesses, and they are cra- crafting legislation as we speak. It's already in one of these uh, Senate bills, the Authorization Acts but budget. That if you have any knowledge, firsthand knowledge of UFOs or a piece of something, you have to tell. You know, you have to notify the Pentagon, the Arrow Office, all domain anomalies resolution office, the new UFO, one of the new UFO offices there. UAP, as they call it, you have to notify them. So uh, I've known about this for 25 years since speaking to witnesses at conferences, and these are very credible people. So basically what you realize this is this, Chris, there are people out there with another story of reality. The public has one sense of reality that we get from the news and from the media and from education. And you come across these experts. And people that are really tops in their field that have worked in the federal government or as a contractor and they are telling you a different story of reality that there we're not alone and uh and some of them don't care anymore about whatever ndas they signed and maybe some of those ndas have expired uh and they can start talking more freely but i mean you start coming across these people and they seem to be attracted to things like remote viewing maybe they just feel they'll meet like-minded people who are open minded. I think that's the main thing. You know, I think what they really want is someone just to listen to their story without ridicule and, right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the Farsight Institute has done a lot of really incredible work. How long were you with them?
1: Uh, I was there for a, a little over a year.
0: Mm-hmm. But they've done like, you know, uh, remote viewing, the crucifixion of Christ, and Mars, the surface of Mars—like all of this really inc- incredible stuff—and I think, do you think that maybe one of the reasons that they nobody wants to publicly legitimize remote viewing is because that—I mean—that seems to go directly against this m- sort of materialist reductionist narrative that there, that we're being presented, as if we live in a material world, a material plane. Stuff like that is just airy fairy, um, especially things that you can do yourself and learn and train other people to do. Um, so they don't want us to uh, think outside the box. They don't. They don't want us to peek behind the curtains and then the curtain after that and then the curtain after that. Like, do you think that there's a there's a uh, <laughs> that there's an agenda behind that? Do you think that that has to do with well keeping us based in material reality?
1: Oh, yeah. We. Listen, I am not a conspiracy theorist at all. I'm I'm a trained sociologist. I, I mean, we really look at things scientifically. I, I don't believe in conspiracies, but we know from the witnesses there has been a huge disinformation campaign around many of these subjects for decades. How do you recover from that as a society when you've been taught to ridicule these subjects. And at the same time, the government's pouring money into these types of programs to learn as much as they can, as was Soviet Union and China, uh, because they know that it works. Um, uh, it is partly, yeah, we we have uh, witnesses like Richard Doty from the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, and he's, I interviewed him. It's on my YouTube channel. And he said, and he's told this to other people. It wasn't just, you know, told this to Steven Gehrer and other people. There's other interviews. You can hear him say they they would just pay journalists to say whatever they wanted. Exactly. And, uh, you know, on one of my crop circle tours, uh, I, I got involved with crop circles just briefly from remote viewing. I was just really curious what these objects were. We had remote viewed them. You can remote view anything and you want some feedback. So I started going over to England on... And it was very fascinating to see what was going on there and the weird effects on cameras and batteries. And we can get into that in a moment if you're Please, interested. Please. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we had a woman who's passed on now, Diana. And we were just talking with her one day, myself and Ron, uh, Ron Russell, who gave these tours from the Denver area. And she said, oh, I worked for the CIA. And we said, well, what, you know, can you say what you did? She said, I worked in the, in, in the uh, media department. Well, what does the media department do? Yeah. She said, I had a Rolodex of, I think it was 400 journalists. We would send them stories to run.
0: Of course. Or so I versions. said, what was that? Or their versions of, of stories that were Well, around. that's what I asked her.
1: Yeah. I said, did you rewrite their stories maybe for national security maybe they're saying too much and there's something you don't want getting out or did you just write stories completely fictional stories and have them run it as if it was real and she said both wow so this is the thing is we're so confused at this point because we don't know what we've been reading is real and i think this is gonna lead to years of investigations of who's been complicit in this sort of deception Mm -hmm. because we can't have a democracy or a democratic republic based on you know false information it just won't it it won't last it has it it, the basis of our society is freedom of the press freedom of speech yes we're doing this right now in a broadcast like this. you can't do this in every country we were in china chris we wouldn't be able to do this yeah they could turn us off Mm -hmm. but you can't do that here it's what we all love about this country
2: exactly
1: if we can't have Information that we know is you know, we veridical information that we can verify, right? Mm-hmm. Because of a huge black budget, but you know, black budget for disinformation, as Richard Doty told us, they would just have huge amounts of cash. Doty was in the Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, and it, it wasn't like he was just from what I got. Talking to not, him, not just spreading the money all over the country. He was focused on Albuquerque. And, and uh, you know, they didn't want people too interested in UFOs. And for their, you know, their reasons were they didn't want people interested in the drones and things they were testing out at Kirtland. But Doty said they, you know, they would hire actors. They would hire actors. Wow. To go to your home to pretend to be a UFO investigator to get your evidence and you wouldn't get it back
0: crazy that's that's some foresight
1: they did this with kirtland and AOFOSI and other was this a national i mean was this going on all over the place that we were you know i mean i think i'm not the only one obviously it's not just me and fellow ufo investigators that are interested in this i mean this is something that the senate's talking about right now Uh, you heard marco rubio make references to this But what's actually going on here, and and are we out of the loop of something that's really important? Well, from talking to all these witnesses, I would say yes. So to answer your question, it's partly from that side. There have been disinformation campaigns, which I think must be illegal because there's nothing that allows the military to use its resources against American citizens. I mean, they can look for spies here and things like that. Uh, That would seem legitimate. We have the FBI for But they're not supposed to be targeting americans on american soil no one's supposed to be doing that there's no authority for the military to do that or any of the intelligence agencies you know and we had the uh, church hearings didn't we in the when was that in the 70s about this sort of issue about how much the media had been complicit in this it seems to have gone on and talking to this woman diana on the crop circle tour i mean she just she just felt like it was her job to run stories i mean what's the effect in our minds when we don't know fact from fiction but let me put have another angle on it as a sociologist there's a part of us all of us it's called confirmation bias we we have biases in our own thinking uh to want to see reality that confirms what we believe to be true because there's a comfort factor of course in Seeing things that confirm what you believe to be true, and it gets worse as you get older. You're you're get more locked in to, uh, uh, you know, what do they call it, hardening of the attitudes. Yeah, you know, it's it's something hardens unless you work at it. Like exactly, people like you and me and are are their listeners, right? Yes. Uh To. Because the more I go into these subjects matter, even dark matter monsters about cryptids, I had never heard. Of, I wouldn't but believe the things that I found heard from witnesses that I've interviewed. I wouldn't have believed it was true even five years ago that these they're creatures out there. It's because it's uncomfortable. And we all want to go back to that comfort zone at the end of the day. We want to turn on the news or something that confirms our view Because quite frankly, we really have no idea what's going on. And we don't know. Nobody really knows. We have ideas. We have religion. And these are all just basic, very basic approximations of reality with lots of bias and political agendas and power. So let's be honest. We really don't know what's going on. We don't know what universe we live in. We don't know what goes on planet Earth. And as I get older, I realize... What we were taught in school was a story. Even someone like Lou Elizondo said something like this recently. You mm-hmm. know, Lou, yeah, who yeah. had worked at OSAP, at ATIP, or whatever it's called.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's debate about which program was which. But he said he had this thing, I just read it, a quote of his. He said, you know, what happens if, if you just tell people, you know, everything you ever heard from the moment you were listening to your parents is wrong or not complete, that there's more going on. It takes a very mature person and it's very easy for groups of people to feel threatened by that and become defensive and create ideologies. And we've seen this throughout history and it turns into these political groups that become violent to try to defend their point of view. Exactly. And it's going to hit us really hard in in the U.S. because we've had 70 or maybe David Grush, I guess, the most recent witness to come forward, 80 years of disinformation (laughs) I have gone to conference after conference, mostly in the Las Vegas area, starting shortly after remote viewing, just to see what what is going on here. I mean, I met more witnesses and more people and more and more and more of them. And then you realize "Eh, there's something really big going on here. There's a crash craft and reverse engineering programs. And I'm glad, I'll say, I'm glad it's finally reached the Congress and that someone's taking action about this because I have been very uncomfortable with it for two decades hearing these witnesses and then they say I can't talk about it. I could uh, be sued by the by the federal government. I You know, I signed something new. So I'm glad that that there's legislation being passed right now to uh, mandate that witnesses come forward and aerospace companies, whoever has pieces of this stuff come forward and you have to in closed doors you know so you have to tell congress what you know so they can figure out because they've been out of the loop too it's, it's quite complex and it's quite fascinating and well welcome to the universe uh, <laughs> i'll say one more thing but this happened 500 years ago when copernicus yep. created this idea that he didn't even want published until he was on his deathbed for fear of retribution yeah. from the vatican exactly that the earth-centered the the Earth the, the view, the Ptolemaic view was not correct, that it was heliocentric. And then Galileo had the evidence with his telescope where he saw these little uh, moons around Jupiter. And then he realized, well, maybe that's how the solar system is like. We're the moon around where the earth, you know. And you had competing views. It t- took a while to sort out what it actually looked like. But we survived that. We're okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not like this is the end of the The world to find out that we weren't the very center of everything that we're just a typical planet among billions of planets in our galaxy and billions of galaxies and this so be it it grows and that's where we're at right now and i mean i think it's fascinating actually
0: i do too yeah i mean even with the disclosure thing that's going on now or has been going on for the last two or three years I am very distrustful of media and of the government, uh, as, especially in regards to subject matters like this, because I know that they, like I said before, the, the narrative that they want to put forth is we, we live in a material plane. Materialism is all that there is. What your senses can take in is all that exists and no need to go any, anywhere past that. So that is, stops a lot of question asking right there if you buy that narrative. So most people don't think past that point. They think, you know, like if, it, if CNN hasn't okayed it, then yeah. it's not worth even considering. Uh,
1: well, we're playing catch up.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. That looks like good. I mean,
1: this is a book from decades ago by yeah. Max Born.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, one of the quantum physicists that we use, the Born rule to qu- compute quantum. This book I I know because I come across exactly what you're saying even in the Bigfoot world, the Bigfoot community, when there's this argument flesh and blood versus quantum woo. It's a red herring fake argument. All matter is energy. E equals MC squared. It's just the basis of, of relativity theory, general relativity theory and quantum mechanics, which tells us that everything has a frequency. It's not woo, it's the basis of electronics.
0: And exactly. everything,
1: everything that has matter is also has an energy component. And Einstein argued they were the same thing. And then quantum mechanics showed us that it was based on Planck's constant, and that there are formulas, very simple, for com- computing wavelength to Planck's constant to energy. So we've known for over 100 years that the world, the material is also an energy world that doesn't have the solidity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: It's in packets of waves, of wave energy. So what you're referring to, Chris, is what sociologists call cultural lag. It's, it's a lag from what you know to be true to your beliefs. And we still have this m- sort of superstition about material things being more real even though what you and I are communicating on right now is completely energy waves i mean there's a box here but it's going across wires and sp-
0: absolutely via electricity and there's the, also the subjectivity component of that like the observation changes what is being observed or everybody can observe what is seemingly the same phenomenon only they can come back with a different a different experience of it Depending on right. how they interact with it.
1: No, that is true. And even someone like John von Neumann, who was, you know, everyone said was so smart. It was like talking to an alien. Like he <laughs> could just do these computations in his head, you know, this uh-huh. Hungarian-American physicist from, uh, I think he lived until the 50s. And he he created lots of uh, very important discoveries and uh, cybernetics and things like this. And he called that psychophysical parallelism.
0: Mm. I've never heard that term.
1: Yeah. And he argued that subjective states have to be real. They have to correspond to the objective world too. They're not less real because we can't see where they are, because they're an experience. They're a point of view. And that leads into the idea that we live in a multiverse, that there's multiple angles on any particular experience, all equally real, uh, real realities, different points of view on what we're seeing, because if you can see it in your imagination, the psychophysical parallelism argument says it's real in some reality somewhere. And so uh, this this kind of leads to discussion of parallel realities, you know, ways of resolving this quantum measurement problem and all of this. But um, I mean, this is what I came across studying Hugh Everett, who came up with this idea in 1957 of relative states, many worlds and so forth. The, The idea that quantum mechanics suggests lots of possibilities that have to exist, and it's we're the ones that are limited. In other words, reality has this multitude of possibilities at any moment. And our perception of it is just a slice.
0: Yeah. So if uh, we if we believe that materialistic, like it's all on the surface, sort of thing, then we're never going to get past that. If we think that's all that's right. on the menu, we're never going to experience anything outside of that possibility, right?
1: No, that's true. Uh, the reason when you push up against something, it feels solid. That's electromagnetic propulsion. That's the the uh, the electron orbits repulsing off other electron orbits, orbitals, uh, that's electromagnetic re, you know, repulsion. Just like you would feel if you push magnets together at the same pole, they push back. It's an electromagnetic force. At our scale, it seems like it's impenetrable and solid. But we know from research in neutrinos from the sun that billions are passing through your hands and mine every second trillions through your body and they never hit anything because they're so small. The chance of a collision, they're so small. We don't, our matter is like as far apart as stars in the sky to a neutrino and it's all, we're all empty space. And that really is the end of the materialistic argument because you have to set up, really expensive, complex neutrino experiments just on the hope that you might detect one. And they have some of these around the world, these different. I think there's one in South Dakota and there's some in the Antarctic and so forth. And they hope to get like one. Neutrino interaction, maybe a day or week, when when trillions are coming through even the space of us every second, because they're that small. So. The feeling that it's material, is is it's an illusion created by our perception. And uh, so that's why quantum arguments are not woo or metaphysics or anything. It's just physics. It's, it's basically everything is a vibration and a frequency. And you can see that very clearly. If you ever pu- pluck a guitar string, you can see it vibrating back and forth. But it looks like it's clear because it's moving. And based on the light you're seeing, it actually looks like you can see through it. And that's actually a kind of a good metaphor for what's actually going on. There is something there, but it's also an energy form. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Well, a couple of things. I want to know I'll go back to the the CIA woman or yeah, ex-CIA yeah. woman. What was she doing nosing around in crop circles?
1: That is exactly the question. <laughs> These people, after being around all the disinformation that they helped create. Are actually really curious towards the end of their lives, what is really going on? Mm -hmm. And they come to my remote viewing classes, they come on my crop circle tours. Um after my crop circle mentor Ron stopped doing them in 2006 he just turned the tours over to me, and I did them until COVID hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, for over a decade and and just so many strange things happen in and around those crop circles. It's a whole big story. But uh, yeah, you get these people out there who know a lot because of the positions they help and they want to find out really what's going on because they've been creating all this disinformation. You know, it's like a flatland. (laughs) They've been creating a flatland world for the rest of us, but they know that reality is really a sphere sphere land and, yeah, there are yeah. yeah. So that, that's how I open start my book opening minds by talking about Flatland. It's a parody on Victorian England by Edwin Abbott. And they convince the population that there's only a flat surface, but the rulers of Flatland know that there are spheres. And one day one of the Flatlanders sees a sphere come through the table. Yes. <laughs> and he's arrested. <laughs> And he's told that, oh, yes, we've known all along, but, but we can't tell. And this is a this is from 1880s. Because it might really, confuse people? might confuse people.
0: And, and <laughs> that sounds familiar.
1: End. Yeah. So I forget what happens to A Square at the end, but he's told that they knew all along. You know, it's like, uh, what's it, like uh, 1984 or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, where they know, but they're coming. So we're kind of like the Flatlanders. And it's up to us to discover the spheres because we have the tools to do it now. I mean, you can't hide these things forever. There's all these, we have all these access to information and and we're getting a lot of good coverage of this, but these people go on these tours because they're genuinely curious like the rest of us. And they want to know, okay, I know what I've been told and what I've been saying within my position. I'm not saying these are bad people, they they do their jobs, they are involved in national security. I mean, this is necessary. But how far did they go beyond what's legal to to create confusion and denial and ridicule around the UFO subject? It's unfair to the witnesses to these phenomena to make them feel ashamed to tell their stories and to tell them, you know, it's not good for your career. It's not good for your career to talk about this stuff. And they don't tell anyone for decades. We had people like this at the Citizen Hearing in 2013 in DC. I went to that. It was held by the Paradigm Research Group. You remember that, mm-hmm.
0: the event?
2: Yeah.
1: Citizen Hearing for Disclosure. It was open to the public because it was the national press club. Anyone mm-hmm. could go. Yes. Yeah, and we had... Folks who uh, missile control launch officers, Robert Salas had come forward, but he knew others and he had Robert did his job and he said, you need to come to this hearing and tell your story. And you had people like David Shindeli uh, and others. And Shindeli said he was told it never happened when the missiles went down in his launch facility in uh, Minot one day in the 60s. His commanding officer said it never happened. You'll never talk about this again to anyone, not your wife, not your sweetheart. No, one. not even the missile service technicians that are coming in two hours. Uh, You don't tell them any. And he didn't. He follows up until Salah says, look, this we got to tell somebody. We're retired now. What are they going to do to us? So so you have a lot of these people out there. And he said he never told anyone until he told the citizen hearing, the mock hearing with, you know, retired senator and Congress people. So, uh, you know, it, it's been going on quite a while. Where you, I just wonder, Chris, how many witnesses are out there? There's got to be a many, many, because I run into these people, and and I varying degrees of responses. Sometimes they will tell me their stories, and I could put it in my books, like in Black Swan Ghost. Other times, they're told, "No, I could. There could be repercussions if you ever mention this. We never had this conversation." um I've, I've heard that just a few months ago so i know there's a lot of these people out there so really it's how are we going to deal with this <clears throat> and uh, but, but it is again it's an interesting question you have these people come to remote viewing classes they come on crop circle tours you meet them at ufo conferences and they're people that have served in positions where they have a better sense of what's really going on and um i mean it's serious because as uh Various people have pointed out recently, you know, Ross Coolhart from uh, Australia and the show he does with Bryce Zabel and so forth need to know. I mean, I mean, it's likely that there's criminal acts have been committed here to keep this secret because the benefits of having access to all that funding and the technology without sharing it. I mean, maybe it just corrupted people into going beyond the bounds of the system that we have, which is based on open discussion and dialogue, right? Well, we haven't had that with the UFO topic. I mean, you talk to average people and they just, they're not sure what's going on anymore. They, they, they ask me, I mean, did you see that article? This and that, you know, I have had people come up to me, um, people who served in academia at coffee shops, who I just know, they say, Simeon, can I, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. Said, well, what's what's going on here what's the truth about this and I said it's real its there you I said, really Sydney really it's this is yes it's real it's it's been covered up that's I mean man it's like well I guess it's what Bryce Zabel called ripping the band-aid off I mean are we're gonna it's rip gonna it happen. off all there are we're gonna because it it looks to me like something went wrong here like what Stanton Friedman used to call cosmic Watergate mm-hmm. yeah. If something really went wrong in the system and you had all this program since World War Two go deep black with no oversight or very little oversight mm-hmm. uh, or a lot of bribery or something, where Congress is supposed to be overseeing these programs, um, they don't, they've don't. they lost track of where, what's going on there. And, and there are things going on that they need to know about because we have to decide if it's legal or not. I mean, who's who has this technology? Who has this research? Who are these people and what are they doing with these companies? Are they organizations? It's you know, something went wrong. And I think that's what the feeling is right now. When you read about this, you can follow it just on Twitter or anywhere. Just read a couple are read an article a day about what's going on with Congress and this disclosure with Gillibrand and Rubio and others. and They seem to be very concerned. And they've heard testimony we haven't heard because they've been listening to this for two years. I'm told they've been listening to two years of closed door testimony from whistleblowers. I've spoken to some of these people. They haven't wanted to do any YouTube interviews with me. I mean, these people know about crash retrievals and pieces. And they've been asked to, the people I've talked to, They've been asked to reverse engineer this material, and I've been told it's so far ahead of what we have. You, there's no, there's not even a shred of possibility of figuring it out. At least the people I've talked to. Maybe there's other types that is more closer, but I mean this, the size, the scale is so nanoscale. It's beyond the limits of our technology at the moment to to create, you know, create materials that interact directly with the quantum field at an energetic level, just like we were talking about at the beginning of the con- yeah. our conversation. Here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally technology that can in- interact at the quantum level
2: mm-hmm.
1: to change frequencies and waveguides that change frequencies of light and permittivity. Fundamental constants that to us are fixed, but to these craft are variables. They can alter space time. They can change the structure of the quantum field. That's their propulsion. And I'm told we don't know how to do this yet. And by the way, it's okay to talk about this, because I've talked to people within the government, and they have said, these conversations like we're having right now are okay, as long as you and I don't have a piece of something.
0: Mm -hmm. Gotcha.
1: We can talk about this all we want because a lot of people won't believe us anyway,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. We're just ranting and so, raving. So,
1: so it's fine to talk about this. We don't actually don't have any direct knowledge. We're not breaking any law, so don't, we don't have to worry about that. But this is what we're dealing with. Now, there's only two possibilities here. There's a major breakdown in our political and economic system where there's some rogue companies or someone outside the bounds of what we consider to be the, the market as we understand it and the political system representation checks and balances or a lot of super smart people with high clearances are making this all up and going to conferences and telling people like me about it sure um which is also a very serious situation if that would be true this is not true but you have had decades of people saying that they've seen this material some of whom like david grush have high enough security clearances that they get to brief the president every morning
0: Yes, of course,
1: that caliber of person. And they're making this up. Uh, It's it's like what Robert Salas used to say about the missile control launch officers like David Shindeli and many others who Robert Hastings has written about, you know, these guys are considered to be the backbone of, you know, our military defense system, the people that have control over launching missiles, whether it be in subs or on land or so forth. Either UFOs and objects are tampering with these systems and shutting them down or in some cases setting off the launch sequences scaring these folks that they turn gray in about five minutes or they're making this all up these were people that could have launched missiles they don't need permission from anyone it's just two guys down there in the tube in the in this facility the missile control launch facility two people can decide to launch those takes two in our system it's not like in the Russian Soviet system where it has to be launched from Moscow. It, it they can launch them on their own. So are you, are you telling me these guys are all making this up? They're they're mentally ill. They're schizophrenics that believe UFOs are coming over in tampering. and they can, they have their, the keys to launching World War 3. Either way, it's a really serious situation. I'm not the first person to say this, Chris. But come on. What are we talking about here? This is like this should be Front page news discussion every day or night. I mean, because something's wrong here, something's really wrong, and I think I have a feeling of what it is based on the people I've talked to over a couple decades. Is you had these special access programs, and it got so compartmentalized that they could never share their stories, stovepiping. And some of these people have told me the stovepiping is is really counterproductive too, because they can't, they can, they can need help with a problem they're working on. They can't talk to anybody outside their program or even within the program. They can't talk to the person next to them. It's, it's really quite complex. This 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 whole situation seems to be the outgrowth of a flatland type effect where you have secrecy over reality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you legalize it in terms of compartmentalization.
0: Yes, for national security.
1: Even for national security. Yeah. And, and we can understand there's a reason. I mean, you had the Cold War. We didn't know what the Soviets were going to do. Uh, maybe they're they were just as a mess as the Russians appear to be right now with their military situation in their adventure in Ukraine. But we can all understand there's reasons for secrecy. I mean, my dad was at D-Day. He, he landed at Omaha beach, you know, in 1944. And, uh, June 4th. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I can understand why you have secrecy cause you can't give that away the night before you land everything's riding on that day and and it has to work or you don't have a back there's no backup plan so I can understand the, because you know, he showed me his letters from World War II that he sent back to his parents in the US and they would what they would do with those is transfer them to rice paper because it was lighter to bring on the planes and and the sensor would cross out any details. Reject. And I, we have we have the letters from his parents, you know, and, and a lot of it was crossed out. What he would say is probably we want to visit a little cafe here. And that's like you don't want the other side knowing where your troops. So I get the, I get I understand there. But for decade after decade, I mean, eventually it's that that's not a justification. I can understand that for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, you know, a couple of years, you know, uh, Communication security sources and methods. I mean, we all understand that, but it's also damaging to national security not to have people have an intelligent discussion about reality. True. And the farther we depart from reality, the more likelihood that the country falls apart, becomes economically unviable because we become stupid. We become dumbed down by our own security system. Yes. And I argue that's as dangerous as any invasion from a foreign country is lowering of IQ and conversational ability and ability to even have an intelligent conversation about this subject. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's quite complex, but I mean, we have to start somewhere mm-hmm. and We've got to start somewhere and it starts on shows just like this. Yes. Who knows who, what Congressman or Senator, Congress person mm-hmm. in your area might be tuned into this one day For and sure. it helps them and they, you know,
0: Hopefully. You you don't understand what I'm saying. Yeah, you I know to, I understand totally. What you're let me saying.
1: give you one example. I know I'm talking a lot here, but this, oh, this do. Is something I think about I think so much. So. In Dark Matter Monsters, I put a story in which I had to get special permission to share. Someone who was a former Secretary of Defense temporary back in the eighties told me one night at an R V conference. He said, I got a story for you that you'll enjoy. He goes, I was in a room when we were monitoring a Soviet PK experiment where the PK sender, we're talking about psychokinesis, folks, the, the PK sender was a thousand miles away from Moscow, and the objective was to bend a spoon back in a lab in Moscow. And so Mike, he said, "We were there were 30 of us monitoring this live. As it was happening, they were intercepting the radio or telephone communication somehow, if I really would do it. I said, did the spoon bend? He goes, yep, it bent. Wow. I said, isn't that like a news headline? <laughs> US government <laughs> yeah, proof of PK. Exactly. He goes, nope, sources and methods. The sources and methods outrules public discussion. I said, well, don't you think like kids, like I grew up on Star Trek as a kid. I mean, do you think that would inspire kids to want to learn PK and get involved in these subjects. I mean, stop the ridicule and say, look, one of the intelligence agencies has proved positive. Not that this was the first time they had their own people that could do it in the remote viewing program, Uh, Lynn Buchanan and others. But I said, did you go down to Fort Meade to tell the remote viewing unit? He goes, Nope wow so they didn't even tell their own remote viewers who were up kind of against these other psychics spies and people like that in other countries with whatever spy shenanigans they were doing they didn't even tell other people in the remote viewing program that did this sort of thing that would bend things that you know so that's compartmentalization and it basically I think the danger is, it seems to be that nobody knows the truth anymore because it's so compartmentalized once the people in that program die off. Nobody really knows. And you've got, this maybe we could, could be going on with Roswell is that we have these loose ends from Roswell. I, um, I mean, I talked to a woman who's dead and I put this in Black Swan Ghosts. I talked to a woman whose dad flew. I was just in a cafe in Boulder once and this woman asked me, because there was a, a list being passed around to sign for this comedy show that was about to start, and she just said, "I said, oh, thanks for the list. I took it. I was going to write my name." She said, "By the way, she said, you know, have you been here? For- no, no. I said, no, no. She said, Have you ever heard about Roswell? <laughs> How's that well, I have a way to start a question? Exactly. A conversation in a in a deli in Boulder, Colorado. So it happened to be. I had just heard about Roswell from Jim Mars. Uh-huh. who had been in Colorado on a speaking tour. Interesting. And I got to sit around with 20 other people in someone's living room. And he told us about Roswell. I had never heard about it. I mean, I've got a grad school who ever heard about Roswell. I never heard about it. And I said, you know, as it happens to be, I just, <laughs> I do know about Roswell. <laughs> and she goes, well, my dad, uh, they kept him on from world war two. He was at the base. He flew the materials out from, uh, from Roswell to, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, I believe, and then to Wright-Patterson. And, and she said, it was so serious. He didn't tell our family until two weeks before he died. Wow. And he called each of his daughters into the hospital room one at a time to tell him that he was afraid there could have been repercussions against the family if he talked about it. Crazy. And I said, well, what, what did he say? What was in the cargo? She said, they didn't tell him, but it was serious enough that it had an armed guard next to the crate in the plane to guard it from the pilots. To guard the contents from the pilots. That's crazy. And he never left except briefly to use the bathroom and come back and sleep slept next to the crate. So I mean she said no. He the dad said um that it whatever it was, it was really serious. And there was extra security and I mean it was life or death. So I don't think it was a weather balloon of any sort. Of <laughs> yeah, mean, that's
0: you know, that's the picture I'm getting. It's not not a weather balloon.
1: No, and and you know you know, deathbed confessions count for something. I mean yeah. imagine not telling your family for decades yeah, until you're about to pass on in the hospital and you don't want to die with the secret of Roswell. So I know for a fact something really important happened there, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. One craft, two craft, whose craft. I mean I don't know. So so you'd run across these people and it is going back a long ways.
0: uh, Interesting sync, Very compelling. I I love the take of your book, uh, Dark Matter Monsters, which is fantastic. I highly recommend anybody who's listening uh, read it. Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: I have a link on my blog, New Crystal Mind. mm -hmm. I'm happy to send. I just have a whole new bunch of copies.
0: Cool. Oh, fantastic.
1: And I'm happy to send people signed copies. If you go to newcrystalmind.com, you can uh, see the top post is get a signed copy.
0: Great. That's where you would like to steer people or is there any other sites?
1: Sure. The website for the book is darkmattermonsters.com. But you can get to all of my books and everything I do from my blog, newcrystalmind.com, my YouTube page and Twitter posts and things like this. Fantastic.
0: Uh, Do you have anything else in the works?
1: Um, well, that you can I talk think, about. <laughs> I, I would like to have a conference at some point, cool. Uh, where we get together and talk about this over a weekend and, in Boulder, and our it, Estes Park.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And
1: things and uh, kind of lay all this out very nice know, because people are having this experience and it, yeah, it, it seems strange, but everything that we don't understand at the time, I mean, electricity was strange and magnetism, I mean, it's just some type of principles that we don't really understand. I'd like to get people together and uh, just have a talk about it over a weekend.
0: I love it. Well, let me know if that happens. I'm not too far away. I love Colorado. Eventually we would like to move to Boulder. So, but that's after the kids have grown up and they're out of here, maybe five, six years from now. So, but yeah, I love Boulder. Boulder's amazing. So, Maybe we can.
1: Yeah. And you, you encounter people with Sasquatch. I mean, I'm sure you encounter them in Kansas too. There's no doubt about it, but you also get them in the Rockies. They can show up anywhere really. It's not just forested mountain, but you can, you'll run into people who have had the, the experiences.
0: Yeah. I have uh, talked to a couple of, that. we have a Native American uh, university here, Haskell University. And I've heard a couple of people who have been around town and who I brought that up in conversation, and and they said, "Yeah, yeah." Well, I mean, they're here for sure. I've known somebody who's had a sighting down in the wetlands behind the the campus. So we always keep our yeah. eyes peeled.
1: Oh, so one yes, you sh- everyone should believe in your experiences. I just encourage people if you've had an experience like this, find somewhere to share it. You'll feel better. Everyone says you hear this on Sasquatch Chronicles. It's a sense of relief; they finally get to tell their story. But, but a lot we're all like that. Uh, the movie that uh, I mentioned will come out in October. I've seen a screening of it. I'm just mentioning it because there's a lot of really good accounts in there, and some of it is out of this world. I mean, mind-blowing encounters. Uh, We'll have no doubt that the Sasquatch can take different forms after seeing A Flash of Beauty, The Paranormal Bigfoot out in October.
0: Fantastic, and this other one that you mentioned, the first one, is you can see it anywhere? Yeah.
1: You can watch it right now. I think it's really beautiful. I did an interview with the creators of A Flash of Beauty in Forks. It's one of my posts on my YouTube channel just from last week. Fantastic. Uh, And yeah, that's A Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed. And what I really liked about that one is it's got the best photography of any Bigfoot documentary I've seen. They didn't want, you know, night shots and green screens and all Mm -hmm. infrared. It's beautiful drone Photography of whole areas with cool. great witness accounts and and really leaves you wondering at the end how this is more prevalent than we thought.
0: Nice, yeah. yeah, I, that's that's something that's missing is is high quality, well done documentaries about this kind of stuff. There's tons of cheesy ones out there that don't yep. really do the subject uh, matter. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They don't do it justice. Um, so it's good to see that this one is maybe high quality and well handled and cool. Very
1: high quality. And the second one's looking great. I'm sure they're going to add more witnesses to it, but so far it looks really good. And it's lots of really interesting accounts and yours truly is in there talking about some of these ideas.
0: Fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing the first one and maybe let me know when the second one comes out. I will. Okay, great. Simeon, wonderful to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with us. And, I barely got into my list of questions. So perhaps sometime down the road, if you would be willing to come back on again and we can have a chat. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thanks Chris.
1: That was a lot of fun and thanks everyone for watching.
0: Yeah. Likewise. And uh, again, maybe keep your browser open until it gives you the go ahead saying everything's uploaded. So, okay, great. All right. Take care, Simeon. We will talk uh, sometime down the road and I will let you know when this comes out. Thanks.